On this week's episode, we talk to Vic Janos, Chairman of the Association of Short-Term Lenders and Director of Impact Specialist Finance. We discuss the new Certified Practitioner in Specialist Property Finance Education Program, what the ASTL is up to, and much more. Now, it's time to spend 30 minutes in finance. Um, good morning, I'm Vic Channels. My current role um, is actually in two parts. I'm the CEO of the Association of Short-Term Lenders, the ASTL. Um, I'm also chairman of Impact Specialist Finance. Um, my history in the marketplace is that I'm now in my 50th year. Um, I suspect there are one or two other people there who can also claim that. Uh, but it's been a varied career. And I started in lending. I became a broker. I became a director of a mortgage lender. Um, I came back out of that into broking and then eventually had, um, ended up doing the two specific roles that I'm working on at the moment. So whilst I would never say I've seen it all, because something comes up new every single day. Um, I do have a little bit of experience in the marketplace, and I hope that this will be valuable during today's podcast. Yeah, no, appreciate that. And, and thanks for coming on, Vic. It's a pleasure, as always, to talk to you. Um, one of the, just a, a quick one, if we can sort of wind back the clock a little bit and talk about sort of how you even got into the industry. I know you said you started a lender. Was that at a bank or um, did you set up a lender or, or how did you actually start in th this whole journey? Okay, that's a really good question. Has been documented before. Um, so I apologize to those people who might already know this story. I was working in the electrical industry and board. And I was walking down one of the main streets in the city of Birmingham when I saw a sign which said professional executive management consultants and I thought let's go in and find out what they do and what they did was place people in jobs and to cut a very long story short two days later I was being interviewed by my soon to become regional manager with what was then the provincial building society subsequently subsequently became national and provincial swallowed up into Abbey and therefore Santander um, and a month later, I started out as uh, what we now know as a BDM. In those days, they were called representatives um, working for provincial in Birmingham. Oh, nice. So and, and then basically you move from there onwards. Um, and what, what was the sort of the driver um, for the switch from working for a lender to go into the brokering side of things? Because we see that quite often. And obviously, I work with sort of brokers on a, a daily basis, um, as probably uh, you speak to quite a few, I'd imagine as well, um, in terms of just a lot of them have made that switch, a lot obviously from previous banking, um, as well as sort of BDMs, etc. And then they move into that world. What sort of made you sort of make that switch? I think it was more a natural progression. I, I spent 14 years with the Building Society and ended up running their City of London um, operation and was headhunted by Citibank at that time to go and help run their mortgage banking division. Um, I worked with a guy called Stephen Knight, who will be known to many. Um, and the experience I had working for that bank was um, unbelievably unique in its approach to the marketplace. 
Um, what, what made me decide that it might be a good idea to become a broker? And sometimes this is how life sorts you out. I would be doing various roadshows around the UK. Um, and at that time, we would see brokers turning up in their big, fast, very pretty cars. And at one event in the north of England, a broker actually turned up to the event in a helicopter. Now, that's <laughs> almost unheard of. But I sat there thinking, what am I doing wrong? I'm actually the lender providing this guy with the money for his clients' mortgages, etc. Um, and yet he's turning up in a helicopter. So therefore, perhaps I'm on the wrong side of the fence. And together with a couple of other guys who I was working with at that time, we decided that we'd create our own um, brokerage. And we started that in Horsham uh, in the mid 80s. So that was not necessarily just to do with mortgages. It was perhaps a little bit more a wider remit, including um, all of the various protection, no investment. We weren't, we weren't keen on the investment side. That is a specialized marketplace. But we wanted to, if you, if you like, effectively stick to the knitting um, and deal in, in mortgages and surrounding protections that went with that. So that's how I came to move over onto the broker side. Okay, so yeah, and obviously from then, I guess the, the markets changed pretty considerably, I'd imagine, in terms of even just in the last sort of 10 years that I've been involved, um, it has changed sort of hugely in terms of just the sheer breadth and, and depth of, of lenders that are available, the people that are using the market. Has, how do you see the sort of health of the sort of, we'll stick to the specialist side of the market, or if you know sort of more generally, how do you see the sort of health of the market as a whole um, sort of on the finance side? I think that the market is going through um, a, a very steep learning curve at the moment. Um, the broking side, we tend to deal in the specialist lending sector, although we have a direct consumer piece. Um, and on the short-term lending side within the ASTL, then of course, um, this is a marketplace which is burgeoning really quickly uh, because interest rates in the bridging side, in the short-term lending side, are still very, very competitive. I think that the incidence rate of lenders now requiring much deeper information on a client, presumably from an anti-money laundering and fraud perspective, is becoming more demanding by the hour. Um, and I think that it's crucially important that any broker writing a mortgage for a client should always advise the client at outset that there is going to be this welter of information required and not be afraid to deal with it face to face at that time. In terms of lenders, um, they, of course, in the regulated space, have got all of the requirements that are placed upon them by the regulators, whether it's the FCA or the PRA or both. In the non-regulated space, lenders, I think, are being very diligent and are operating the majority, if not all of their lending, as though it were regulated. And that's a good thing for the consumer. And um, you probably know this already, David, one of my major comments at all times is that 
all of this, whatever we do in our marketplace is for the benefit of the consumer. And by return, everything that we earn is a result of the fact that we have consumers taking mortgages. And we should never, ever forget that. Yeah, because it's, it is, the, I think that is the key thing a lot of people sort of, well, uh, uh, realizing or, or sort of focusing on now at the moment is, is exactly that, because it used to be, uh, well, you know, I, from when I first joined, we, it was around about that sort of just after 2008, uh, sort of all that, um, and everyone was getting back into um, sort of doing things properly. That was a key focus, um, and I've noticed it just in this short time, um, and I think it's one of those things that the, the sort of changing scope as where do you see the the market going and I, I asked um Adam Tyler this when I ha we had him on um sort of a couple of weeks ago and I'd like to see, hear your perspective in terms of where do you think the specialist market in particular is heading um I know you said most lenders now act as though they're regulated already um do you want it to see it go more that direction or do you think we're kind of at a position where it's it sort of self manages and regulates itself sufficiently now that's a really good question and probably has a myriad of answers <laughs> give um, it your best go <laughs> <laughs> my my first comment is that i believe in regulation um i don't think that it's a bad thing for the industry but I do think that there are the instances where perhaps it becomes a little bit too constraining, too restrictive. Um, it seems that every year now we have a new initiative coming our way, which um, drags time and um, bodies from within the businesses putting together the necessary responses to make sure that in the event of a regulator calling on us or our compliance people internally looking at what we do, making sure that we have all of those bits and pieces in place. Um, I repeat that I believe in regulation, but I also believe that it should be light touch rather than heavy touch, which does appear to be the way that it's going again at the moment. Yeah, because then I agree, at least I think it's it's one of those things that allows sort of firms to be a little bit more agile, where they can sort of innovate, try new things out, uh, where they don't have to follow as strict the rules. But obviously, as long as that key principle of, of treating customers fairly is there. Um, if there was one thing that you could say that the industry is still not doing as well as it, as it could, is there anything that jumps to mind when I say that? I think that the industry, if we talk lenders, I think lenders are genuinely doing what they think is right. Um, in the majority, if not all of the cases, what they're doing is right for the consumer. Um, it's also currently right for the broker. But I think there may be instances where some lenders might be looking and seeing if they can actually find a way of dragging the consumer in directly to them. This is not a new problem. Um, over the years, we've looked at how lenders have actioned their distribution. Um, and in many cases, perhaps not so in the last eight to 10 years, 
but certainly in the run-up perhaps to the credit crunch, we could see that lenders were trying to find ways of attracting consumers more directly. We could understand it because, of course, it meant that they didn't have to pay out such high procuration fees. Um, and I'm not sure that that was a great exercise for them. I would counsel lenders to remember that the best advice that a consumer can get is from a local professionally qualified advisor, be it in the financial services world or be it in the mortgage world. And I, I, would, I would recommend that they don't forget that uh, because it is the best way of ensuring that the consumer also gets the job done properly for them. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good answer. And on the, the broker side, is there anything that you think brokers generally could be doing better to help lenders, especially as you deal with a whole load of lenders, you know, um, I've got views on this, but we'll, <laughs> we'll hear yours instead. I think, I think that the majority of brokers do a great job. Um, yeah. we, we see the inquiries coming in, we look at the way that they've dealt after their, uh, they've dealt with their customer. Um, and I think in the majority of cases, Everything is as it should be. Where my slight concern at the moment, and particularly in the current market, where interest rates are high, um, you've got increasing costs almost everywhere you look, is that where a client is looking for a mortgage, there are some signs that certain brokers may be looking to short-term lending to fill a gap for a period of time. What what I mean by that is that maybe they're looking to arrange a bridging loan for a client where the interest rates still remain quite low and very competitive. And their thinking is that when interest rates come down next year, I'll come back to that, that they will then be able to move the client to a term loan um, and that will work smoothly. Well, my question there is what happens if interest rates don't come down? What happens if interest rates go up? Um, what position is the client left in at that point? And more importantly, how is the broker going to justify the advice and recommendation that they've made? Yeah, because that is a, it's a difficult one because, yeah, getting your crystal ball out um, and sort of predicting the future at the moment, I would say is, it's pretty challenging um, with the way that things seem to change every sort of couple of weeks, every month. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, that that I, I can see that causing potential issues down the line. Um, and for, that leads me kind of nicely on to um, in terms of the the sort of barrier of entry for. Let's start with brokers at the moment. Um, there isn't, especially in the unregulated side of things, which obviously the market is is vast. Um, there's a fairly low barrier to entry for brokers on that side of things. Um, do you think that is is something that is sustainable, or is that something that you welcome? I think that the barrier should be higher than it is. Um, I know in a little while we're going to talk about. Um, the education program, and I'll leave you to introduce that when you're ready. My concern is that we don't want to see regulation forced unnecessarily into what is currently the unregulated sector. 
Um, there will come a time, I believe, when that will happen. But I also believe that we've got to always consider that the advice which is given to a customer has got to be at the highest possible level it can be. And I am aware that people can enter the unregulated space and write mortgage business um, without any qualification or requirement. I am concerned about that. And I'm hopeful that lenders, in fact, I know that lenders are equally concerned about it. But what I'm hopeful is that the education piece will perhaps, whilst it won't put a barrier in place, it will encourage those people looking at entering the market to do the right thing and to go through the, the program, gain a full wide understanding of what short-term lending in particular is about. Um, and then be good advocates when they actually start dealing with consumers. Yeah, no, I think, and now is a, a good time to talk about it um, because it is, it's one of the sort of major innovations, I think, in this space that, that we're, you know, that's happening in quite a while, really, that there's something that is coming in as I've got my CMAP did it a while ago. Um, and now obviously on the, and that's needed for the, the regulated side of things. But I think now, um, uh, let me make sure I got this right. The Certified Practitioner in Specialist Property Finance Program um, is coming out. Um, is that launching in the, the new year? We're hoping that um, it will be launched. Well, we, we've made a commitment, in fact, that it will be launched in Q1 2023. And we're going through the final stages now. Um, Adam will probably have told you in his podcast that the topics have been prepared. We're now looking at the multiple choice questions and the case studies. And we're hoping that within the next two to three weeks, certainly before the year end, we'll have the majority, if not all of those ready um, so that we can offer the opportunity to potential students to start reading the modules in the early part of the year with the view to sitting the um, test papers at the end, if not before, of Q1. Yeah, perfect. And it's an interesting one because this is, it's kind of been discussed and kind of there's been sort of talk about having something like this for a long time but um, in the last sort of year or two or a couple of years that it seems to have been sort of brought to the front so at like the NACFB event there was a, a big talk about it on one of the panels there and um, obviously I know you, you guys um, sort of the ASTL and FIBA are, are really heavily involved in this um, and what do you think has cause that sort of groundswell to suddenly sort of go, okay, let's actually do it this time. Um, I know there was one in the past, but that didn't go as well. What's, what do you think the difference is now and, and why is it needed? Well, I think, I think in fairness, um, my predecessor at the ASTL, Benson Hirsch, together with his colleagues, had been talking about this for a long time. Um, when uh, Benson retired, um, one of the first meetings I had when I when I took the role on of at the ASTL was with Adam Tyler, and we actually chewed the curd on what we thought between us were the right approaches to the marketplace in the next two years or so. Now, this was back in the period just before 
COVID. And the one thing, we agreed on several things, but the one major thing that we agreed on was the need for education in the short-term lending sector. And we vowed that we would treat this seriously with a view to bringing it to fruition within the next two to three years. So it started there. It wasn't a new seed. It was, it was already a subject that had grown into quite a healthy debate. Uh, but between us and uh, together working with the um, LIBF, we started the process of actually bringing it to life. And the probable question that most people ask will always be, what value do you think this will bring to the marketplace? Well, the short-term lending sector um, is a good barometer for the market. It's, I always liken it to um, a child's jigsaw, which might have just six or seven pieces, where the bridging part is a fundamental part of the jigsaw, where if that doesn't fit, then the rest of the consumer's requirements for future borrowing doesn't happen. And that's not good news for the industry. What we felt was that if somebody is going to enter into the short-term lending sector, then there should be a full, wide, complete understanding of all the various parts and nuances so that when they're advising a client, whether it's on an auction purchase, whether it's on downsizing, whether it's on um, a development project, that they have all the answers in front of them for the benefit of the consumer. That's where it started and that's where it ended in that the, the program itself will provide information and education updates in all of those sectors. And it will continue um, to be updated as the market changes. So what we're hoping is that people will see this as an avenue where they can demonstrate when they're marketing to potential clients that not only have they got their CMAP um, and uh, maybe they're also well qualified in the protection sector, but now they've actually taken the time to study and pass through um, a series of tests in the short-term lending market, which will give them um, another piece of information uh, in order to support where they are at the present time. Again, for the benefit of the consumer. Yeah, because it, it it's a really interesting one that it is, especially if you're just sort of coming into the market, I think there is so much that you can do in this sort of specialist uh, sort of property finance space that, if you have something that you can kind of just refresh your mind on, or sort of refresh everything on it even, um, there's, I would imagine, and Adam sort of mentioned this, that he even thinks that there'll be a few things in there that sort of seasoned professionals might still learn from. Um, and it, I guess it is your hope that it becomes as sort of uh, synonymous with being a regulated mortgage broker as CMAP is um, to our space uh, or is it something you just think will be um, widely adopted uh, just because people want to make sure that they've sort of worked on it themselves and obviously they're a bit more comfortable in what they know themselves? I think those are all good questions. Um, the first thing I would say it's new opportunities. So a number of large organizations, and I'm thinking now perhaps of 
um, some of the major networks right now don't like people who are their appointed representatives dealing in this particular specialization. Um, I think it's potentially to do with reputational risk. Now, if they are to adopt the educational program when it's, when it's ready, um, and their, their members go through the course, take the examinations, pass them, and can demonstrate that they now have the capability and the experience and the understanding, it may give them the opportunity with the authority of their network, for example, to actually widen their scope of business. And that for me is one of the major thought processes that have um, occupied our mind while we've been going through the whole thing. Um, this is for anyone as well, in that we're not looking for those seasoned professionals who we would imagine are well-versed in, in bridging and development finance anyway. But there are those who concentrated specifically in and with high street lending and perhaps a small amount of the specialist lending um, areas. This gives them an opportunity also to broaden um, their outlook and their ability to write business. And then there's also the guy who currently might be working, I don't know, with Marks and Spencers, for example, and decided he wants to have a change of career. He may be um, mid-age, mid midlife. Um, why not, if he wanted to have one simple specialization, why not allow him or them to, to look at this as an option for them to come into the market and specialize just in that particular area? So equally, you've got those who are coming out of university who may be looking at coming into this sector. It gives them an additional string to their bow, in addition to, if you like, the standard SEMA examinations. Um, right at the very beginning. Yeah, and in terms of difficulty, um, have you got any sort of idea of quite how difficult it will be? Um, will it be on a, a level of sort of CMAP or do you, do you think it will be slightly easier? As that was three exams, wasn't it? Is this just going to be one? Yeah, this is just at this stage one exam. We're not looking necessarily to extend that further at this stage. Um, what will happen, of course, it, it it'll be a self-motivating um, um, examination process or course process as time goes by and as the market changes. In terms of difficulty, it won't be any more difficult than CMAP, um, but we didn't want it to dumb it down either. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, I go back, and I make no apology for this, I go back to why are we doing this? It's for the benefit of the consumer. And therefore, we owe it to the consumer to make sure that those people who are going to give them advice and recommendation are well-versed and qualified to do that. Um, the examination is not a mandatory examination. It will be voluntary. Um, and it may well be that we'll get a massive take-up and it may well be that we don't. Uh, what we are doing is expecting it will be a good take-up, all the vibes indicate and hint that that will happen. Um, but it is up to the brokers and those in the marketplace to decide if they would like to do it. We hope they will, and we hope that it will prove to be beneficial for the sector. Yeah, no, I, I think it definitely will be. And I, I've spoken to quite a few brokers about it.
so far, all the conversations that we've had with lenders, um, with the brokers and all participants in the sector has been positive. Um, there's an inevitability, isn't there, that there will be some who consider that this is um, a non-entity and not necessary. Uh, and we will regret that because we think it makes sense for everyone. There will be a cost to it though, David, in that um, once we finalized the, uh, the process, as I've said earlier in Q1, we've anticipated the cost for doing this will be around 250 pounds, um, which is not dissimilar to uh, the sort of cost price costing that the CMAP um, examinations were, were geared against. Um, it will have the same shelf life of a year. So once somebody starts down the road, um, they'll have a year to complete the process. What they'll have at the end of that is you might want to call it a blue badge, you might want to call it a kite mark, um, but they will have something that they can demonstrate um, to the consumer market or indeed on their advertising that they have got this qualification. And, um, and therefore, what we're hoping is that will help to drive business their way. So we anticipate there'll be one or two who won't want to do it and will find a reason not to, but we anticipate also that the majority will want to do it. Our research, uh, particularly within the lending and the broking community, has indicated that the take-up will be um, pretty high. Is this a, a for-profit um, sort of enterprise, or is this just a something that you're doing um, in order to kind of just obviously better the entire market? Good question, David. This is a non-for-profit, um, facility as far as FIBA and ASTL are concerned. Indeed, once everything is up and running by the end of Q1 2023, we will step back and have no major input in the future of the examination process uh, and the qualification itself. The whole thing that we wanted to do, the reason behind this was simply to ensure that the industry has some form of recognized standard which brokers can display, uh, but more importantly, where they can have gone through the process, understand all of the aspects of it fully, and ensure that the information and advice and recommendation that they're giving to the consumer is sensible and appropriate for the individual um, task in head, ahead of them. Yeah, no, that's yeah. good to hear. And I, I think that that sort of I think a lot of people will be put at ease with with that in terms of that it is actually going to be purely for a their self development, um, as well as obviously, as you, you said, um, something that they can obviously show to their clients that they they know what they're doing. Um, and obviously, ultimately, sort of beneficial for the the borrower and the end sort of user um i you probably noticed we don't have a, a huge amount of time left and i don't want to keep you too long um but are you able to give us a, a sort of brief little update on uh the astl and, and what you're up to there of course yes um and i'd be delighted to do that um the astl is growing um we now have our highest ever number of lender members and our highest number of associate members. Associate members are those 
who provide support services to lenders in the sector. So we're talking about legal firms, valuers, property agents, collection agents, and so on. Um, and we're delighted about that because what we're now doing is finding that we're representing um, a major slice of the short-term lending market. Um, without mentioning names, we've had some really big hitter lenders join us in recent times. Um, but we're very keen also to ensure that lenders who might be new starters um, or not necessarily huge in numbers also become members of the ASTL. We have a set of rules, we have a code of conduct, um, and what we're finding is that there is great interest in what we're trying to do for the market at the moment. You're probably aware, David, I'm conscious of timing, but you're probably aware that we recently launched our first white paper, and the white paper was conducted in conjunction with YouGov, who posed a series of questions to quite a large um, portion of the uh, population across the age range uh, in order that we could try and identify what people really thought or knew about the short-term lending sector. The results are available um, and through the ASDL website so people can have a look and see uh, exactly what they were. The major point that has come out of it is that this now enables us to talk more openly to the press about short-term lending. That's quite a deliberate process because what we're hoping is that the mainstream press will pick up and they'll talk more about short-term lending. And what that might do is then encourage the consumer to not necessarily have the bad vibes that they may have had, uh, particularly about bridging going back 5, 10, 15, 20 years where interest rates were high and the sector may not necessarily have had such a good name. We believe it has a good profile at the moment, which is getting better all the time. Uh, and we believe that the white paper will help us to promote that. Uh, thanks, uh, Vic. Yeah, that was, um, I think it's a, an interesting one. And I do, I'll link um, to the ASTL website so people can have a look at the white paper and everything themselves as well. Um, and then hopefully once we get a bit more information about the education piece, obviously that will be on there. And is that where everyone goes to in order to um, kind of register or will that be on the LIBF website? Yeah, what we'll do, once, once it's good to go, um, we will issue a press release confirming that and the various details that people will need to know in order to sign up. So that's, um, that's a case of watch this space, either just before or after the um, end of the year. Perfect. If that happens between this going out, I'll make sure I get the link in the description um, so people can Excellent. have a look. And in terms of um, the, the last sort of question for you, because I, I don't want to keep you too long, but where sort of what are the next steps for uh, for a yourself personally and also the, the sort of ASTL um, and your, your brokering side of things? Where do you see things going? Have you got any sort of big plans that you want to share or or happy to <laughs> to sort of divulge? I think in terms of the brokerage side, um, the market is what it is at the moment and um, it's busy 
uh, and it's busy with people who are mainly concerned about their personal mortgage circumstances. And we have quite a good team here. So um, I'm lucky in many ways that um, it's run by Dale, my son, you probably know Dale. Yeah. Um, and therefore I'm called in more or less as and when I'm needed. So that side uh, is taking care of itself and is busy. Um, you also know that we own an organization called One Mortgage System, uh, which is an end-to-end -end CRM, which is hugely busy at the moment, both with brokers and lenders. Um, in terms of the ASTL, this is my, my real love. Um, the ASTL is an organization which is geared to ensure good practice throughout the short-term lending sector, all aspects of it. And I'm certain that I want to follow that through for as long as I can, um, growing the membership, making sure that the current membership are happy and comfortable with what we do for them, um, the education piece and the white lab and the white paper uh, are two examples of what we've been able to do uh, in the last two years, given that for much of the time we were hampered by the COVID issue. We have got plans for 2023. And we are going to increase the number of meetings for members, members' lunches, so that we can discuss the needs of the market. Um, and then together with um, my colleagues uh, within the ASTL, we'll continue our dialogue with the regulator. We've agreed regular meetings with the regulator. Um, we're looking to facilitate the same with the Treasury, so that as each um, issue or initiative arises, where we need to hold dialogue with them, we are able to do that. I've been invited to sit on a round table on a fairly regular basis with the regulator to discuss the various initiatives that they're bringing to market. And I found that really interesting. Um, but it's, it's all about making sure, whichever way we look at it, that all of us in the sector have the right and the same um, endeavor in front of us and that is to make sure that we do our job properly and we look after the end consumer and i can't help but keep saying this without the end consumer we don't have businesses yeah no that is very true and then finally lastly is there anything else you'd like to share that um we haven't covered or, or sort of talk about at all no i think we've covered just about everything david at, at the moment yeah um, as that i've got a, a literally a thousand <laughs> questions i could ask you so um we definitely Take don't have time, time for that exactly <laughs> so what we'll have to do is get you back on and obviously if anyone has any questions you can leave them in the comments um i'll bring them up with vic next time say in sort of uh, you know four months time six months time um and then we can obviously catch up then but uh for now thanks ever so much vic really appreciate your time um you're welcome whenever you want and whenever you've got any news to share so just let me know that's really kind of you and uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity my pleasure all right thanks vic